Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of Strategy and Sourdough. So today, Owner and I are going to be talking about brand building, one of our favorite topics. And this stems from a lot of the conversations we've had with our guests, as well as between ourselves um, in the weeks that we've been publishing these episodes. And essentially, it comes down to this uh, notion that when we talk about startup marketing in general, we can often be very good at short-term sales activation type events, right? But usually we are not always as good as thinking about the long-term brand building aspects. We wanted to talk today about what some of the actionable ways are that you can approach a brand building journey. And, you know, there is this inherent assumption that big marketing campaigns is always the right answer, but we are going to be talking a little bit about how do you approach the brand building side of things, rather than just the sort of growth focus, tactical, short-term sales activation side of the marketing. So, Honor, just with your experience uh, working with startups and working with big brands, what would be the place to get started um, on this journey? The first thing I want to talk about is timing, because we always make the assumption that there's a specific point in time where you switch from growth hacking to brand building modes, which is simply not true. I believe that this should be in the mind of every founder and every startup marketer from day one. Having said that, I also understand that some of our speakers have mentioned in the past that it might be seen as a bit of luxury. And certainly you need to get the business on the right track and get the cash flow going and have achieved product market fit to be able to think a little beyond just the next few months to start building your brand and reaping the benefits of that. The way I see it is three points. First, what are you really trying to achieve when you talk about brand building? I think having that distinction of long-term goals versus short-term results is very important. The second part is something that we keep talking about in the context of strategy. Who are you trying to reach and what's your key message? What do you want them to know about your company? And the last part is what's the best execution of that? It does make a lot of sense. False way to think about it is, you know, we're just going to launch a campaign or our brand building is done. It's actually much more of a longer term program, I guess, is what we could talk about in the context of this. So mm-hmm. the first thing, as you mentioned, is what are the long-term goals? And perhaps related to that is also the planning of what kind of a budget should you be allocating for these types of activities? The other sort of, I suppose, false thought around brand building is that it's always an expensive uh, media campaign that leads into brand building. Whereas, you know, in our last episode, for example, we had a great discussion with Usman who spoke about it being a lot more about the story that you want to convey. And you're just doing it over the course of a longer period of time to emphasize the beliefs of the company, the beliefs of the founder and the stories that may create over time an unfair advantage. So he, he mentioned a couple of tactics like just writing a blog long-term, for example, which doesn't have to cost as much money as a big TV campaign or something like that. So I think that's the first thing that I really wanted to kind of debunk or demystify that, that thought. So why don't we talk about this in the context of brand building programs rather than campaigns? I completely agree with you. And I think it's very important to separate this from the short-term day-to-day activities that you do that are typically much easier to measure. 
when you're trying to build a brand, it's much more difficult to measure the impact of your activities because writing a blog post or building an audience is going to take a long time or even changing people's perceptions about a specific topic or how they perceive you versus your competition takes a very long time and it's very difficult to measure. So I think the first step in your brand building journey is figuring out why you are doing certain things and knowing that it's not going to be immediately measurable and immediately visible. And there are a couple of other things or reasons why you might be venturing into this journey. Maybe you want to expand into a new market or maybe you want to target a different set of consumers. Maybe your competitors are investing heavily in advertising and you don't want to lose your existing market share to the competition. So these are some of the ideas that I think or some of the reasons why it's important to start by figuring out what is it that you really want to achieve. Yes, absolutely. And those things that you want to achieve are always going to be the long term impacts, right? So we've spoken in previous episodes about the notion of a funnel. So what we are talking about here is essentially programs that sit at the very top of that funnel. So the awareness, the brand building, and essentially in the long term building uh, the notion of what your company stands for, the belief systems, and you know why we are different than other companies in our industry. In a previous episode, Oliver Lowe, who spoke about creating an unfair advantage or in fact creating irrational margins for the company. So these programs are often programs that then tap into the more emotional side of people's buying behavior, rather than always having the more tactical, the more rational, and the more factual side of buying. So we're definitely not talking about 50% off campaigns here. We're talking about much more of the sort of emotional side of the spectrum. Absolutely. And also having talked about the difficulty of measuring the return on investment on these type of activities... There's a reason why we are doing all of this, because building a brand is a great investment to make. The simplest way to think of it is if you have a certain amount of capital that you can deploy and your time frame for that capital or investment is six months versus three years, you would probably choose to invest in different asset classes. Brand building is taking that long term. And if you look at the returns over three years, you might realize that this is an investment that really pays well over the long term. And that brings us to that age-old question of how much to spend in top of um, the funnel activities. And unfortunately, this is another topic that doesn't have a silver bullet. I wish I could say you have to spend 3% of your overall revenue on brand building or, or something like that. But uh, this is the most unpopular answer of all time, which is the it depends question. But it depends for a few reasons. We understand the pressures on short-term sales and you know proving product market fit. So you're always going to have to spend marketing money on that. What I would say is the proportion of spend on brand building is probably going to, from a percentage point, remain relatively flat over time. But what that means is early on, you're going to be allocating perhaps a smaller amount of money into that. It means no big TV campaigns early on, probably, because media is expensive. It does mean, you know, you're not going to be working with A-list celebrities as your endorsers very likely, but it does also mean that you have to allocate some money into it so that whether it is a blog, whether it's online videos, whether it's 
working with micro influencers or whatever the tactics may be that you can afford, you should be allocating some funds into it. And as you grow, as you prove your market product market fit, and as your revenue or funding base becomes more sustainable or, or perhaps healthier, then you start allocating a little bit more money into it to create those irrational margins and that unfair advantage. Let me do the exact opposite and try to put some numbers into it. I think a great place to start is 80-20. So in the early days when you're still struggling to grow and when you're still super short-term focused, put 80% of your time, energy, and budget into getting customers through the door and growing the business. But still use that 20% wisely to experiment different channels or start investing in long-term channels that's going to help you build that brand and create that perception of how you want to be known for. As time goes by, I think it should shift towards 50-50. There's, of course, no perfect number that truly encapsulates the right amount to spend. But I think in a startup that's been around for three to five years, healthy mix of long versus short-term investment probably looks equal over time. That's my experience, at least. Yeah, that's actually a really good way to think about it. So rather than putting an actual dollar amount or percentage of revenue into it, figure out what your marketing budget is, build it into your financial planning for the business, and then start allocating the 20-80 rule, and then normalize that towards 50-50 over time as your product market fit gets more clear, and as your funding base and your revenue starts normalizing into hitting those financial plans that you've set for your company. Absolutely. Directly related to this is essentially ensuring that your campaign is working. And the challenges you mentioned earlier is that when you look at the more bottom of the funnel, more tactical, more short-term sales activity, it's really easier, easier to measure. Are we getting customers in or not is ultimately the business outcome. And then you can drill that down into the different digital marketing metrics or traditional marketing metrics. But the challenge with long-term uh, measurability is exactly that. You're going to see the ROI over time. So how do you know if your campaign is working? Well, you can look at different qualitative studies over time, for example. You can look at surveying customers, asking where they heard from you, asking how they came into your business, different qualitative measures like that. And there are, of course, metrics like how many people are we reaching? What's the ad recall for some of our campaign work or blogs or whatever that may be that we can use? But essentially, the key thing that I would say is you have to keep investing in this thing long term. And if your short-term numbers do not justify the brand activities that you're doing at the top of the funnel, it does not mean it's not working because these things take a much longer time to prove the ROI. A couple of tangible examples that I can think of. One metric that I really like is increase in organic search volume over time. If people are typing the name of your company or product into Google, you can get that number fairly easily and you can look at how that number is changing over time. Because the increase in search volume over time gives you a good benchmark on how you are doing in terms of creating awareness for your products and services. The other way of measuring success of brand building campaigns, especially for B2B startups, is the number of leads that you are able to generate for the business. Doesn't necessarily mean that the leads are going to convert, but just means that you succeed in getting more people interested in your products in the first place. So I think these can be ways of trying to make it a little bit more tangible. Yeah, you're not going to be searching for a company by their name if you're not aware of it, right? 
it's a pretty good top of mind awareness uh, generator or metric. Exactly. Right. So if the first step then for these long-term programs are figuring out your long-term goals and your budget, the second step is then defining the audience and the key messaging. So if you look at the first sort of part of that, which is that audience selection, there's a few different elements that come to play. Most startups will know the sweet spot of their uh, audience or their customers. Either you have a hypothesis of what that audience could look like and you built the product for a specific set of customers, or you have enough customers to see you know, the trends and the profiles of what kinds of customers are buying from you. So if it is that existing sweet spot that you simply want to grow, then choosing the audience that you know buys from you is a really good starting point. If, on the other hand, you're after a new audience, which could actually be a very good idea when you're trying to prove your product market fit, for example, then choosing the audience that you know, you know are buying from you, but looking at an alternative audience with a hypothesis of, of people and the kinds of profiles that could buy from your company is another good way to select an audience. And of course, there's differences between the above, and it's important for you to choose because ultimately, the more defined your audience is, the more defined your messaging can be, your channel selections can be, your targeting can be, and therefore, the funds that you're allocating um, are going to be better spent going after a specific audience. Absolutely. We did talk about this in the customer research and the positioning episodes. And I think this is at the core of strategy and it's important for every startup to know by heart and keep a close eye on who exactly they are trying to reach. How do they want to be perceived for that set of customers, right? What I think it's interesting when it comes to brand building is translating that audience and positioning into a set of actionable messages. So for example, if the key differentiator or your positioning for your products is that it's privacy first and cares about the privacy of the consumers, what does that mean in the context of a brand building campaign? And what are the different ways that you can talk about it? In the agency world, I think this, the agency folks like to refer to this as a messaging strategy or messaging letters and things like that. But the essence is, can you come up with three or four different ways to express or convey that positioning? This is not so much going into copywriting, because I think that's a creative process, but this is outlining the talking points that will help you get there. And then putting that into a brief is the obvious next step. So writing from an internal or external perspective, if you're using freelance talent, if you're using external consultants, if you're using an external agency, putting all of these goals, putting all of these audience selections and putting all of the messaging and the goals that that messaging have to it in a written format into a brief will help you crystallize what you are after, essentially. It is the first document that captures the essence of what you're trying to do so that you have different parties from within the company and outside completely aligned on what you're trying to, in the long term, strive for. And I think it's actually even more important to have it written down for the long-term initiatives because month in, month out, if you want to try different top-of-the-mind activities and programs that ladder up to these goals that you've set, maybe one, two, three years ahead, it is really important to keep going back to this brief and ensuring all the activities ladder up to it over time. I think this is extremely important and cannot be overstated. And this is one area where I believe a lot of startup founders would skip 
because it seems like an extra chore. But there are a couple of advantages as to why you should do this. The first one is, like you mentioned, it helps you to crystallize your thinking. Writing something succinct and that captures the essence of what you're trying to do in a page or two is extremely difficult. And achieving that level of clarity is super important, first for yourself, so that you know why you are doing it. And the next step is being able to communicate that to others. Because if we sit down and talk about a brand building campaign, what I have in my mind versus what you perceive that we should do might be completely two different things. Whereas having this in a clearly written document that outlines how we plan to get there is very helpful in communicating the essence of what you are trying to do to outsiders, whether they're an external agency or a partnership that you're trying to form or even your internal teams. And third, another super important thing that you mentioned is as time goes by, as you feel like you are starting to lose course, or if you come at the crossroads and you're trying to decide whether to pick one idea or execution versus another, it's always a helpful reference to go back and take a look at why you are doing it. And that will help you guide that decision and help you move forward. Yeah, and it also helps with internal alignment. You know, one document, everyone has to quote unquote sign off on it. So that there, when you get into the execution stages, then you don't get into that awkward conversation. Oh, I thought we were doing this. Absolutely. You know, there's nothing worse, actually. And it wastes time, money, and effort from everybody involved. And some of the formats that I'm personally a huge fan of, web-based brand statements and brand design statements anyway. So if you create sort of a website, one place, central place, uh, that keeps getting updated over time, what does your brand stand for, the graphic elements, all that type of stuff, that's the most helpful. And that does either does or doesn't have to be publicly facing. There are certain brands like Airbnb that actually publish it. You know, it's a public website you can go to to look up their brand and what it stands for. And some companies choose to keep it internal. But if you don't want to invest that time in creating uh, a blog post or a website on it, having a collaborative document somewhere like Google Docs, for example, is, is just as good. Another format that I've experimented with recently and really like is the Amazon's way of doing things, which is writing a press release. And it sounds easy, but it's extremely difficult. If you're thinking of launching a big marketing campaign or a new feature on your products, figuring out why anyone from the press would actually care about it and what makes that product or feature interesting is a really good way to crystallize your thoughts and capture that in a essence in a document. Yeah, that's absolutely true. So figuring out goals, figuring out budgets, defining audience, defining messaging, arriving at a brief, that's really, really key. And the third and the final area that we'll cover in today's episode is really, what's the best way to bring all of this to life then? And a part of the strategic process is figuring out the creative concept or the idea. What do you think is the best way to get started? I mean, you have a brief, you have your company positioning. How do you get started on the creative concept or the idea of what you want to do? I'm a big believer, especially for startups, I'm a big believer in the idea of doing it yourself first. So even if you don't consider yourself to be a creative person, or even if you don't enjoy brainstorming, I would rather just sit in front of your computer and work on developing a new feature for your product. I think it's a very helpful exercise to try to do it yourself first. And 
when you get started, the first step is if this is my goal and these are the messages that I want to convey to this set of audiences, what are the different ways I could do that? This forces you to come up with creative ideas and concepts to solve that problem. A good starting point, as another agency speak, is thinking about territories. Not so much the final idea itself, but the different ways that you can talk about the idea. If your goal, continuing that metaphor or example, if your goal is to be perceived as a privacy-first company, what are the territories when it comes to privacy that people care about. So maybe one territory could be literally geographies and the different markets that you target to people have different perceptions of what privacy means for them. The another territory could be competition. How do they talk about privacy and what are the messages that they use when it comes to differentiating yourselves? Or it could be the negatives, like maybe they don't really care about privacy at all. And maybe they use their apps to siphon as much personal data as they can. So maybe your eventual creative idea might be positioning yourself as an anti of those companies. So I think brainstorming about the different ways that you can bring concepts and message to life is a really important exercise. Then there's the choice of, are we going to do this internally or externally? which is, of course, a very broad topic, but a good rule of thumb is asking yourself, are you really equipped to be able to do it internally? Because it's important, I feel, especially for startups, know their strengths and weaknesses. If you have a fantastic technology team that's great at building products, but you are not necessarily great at marketing, you might find it a lot easier to hire external help to get that off the ground. Or you have strategically decided that being good at marketing is in the best interest of your company over the long term. Maybe you can use this campaign as an opportunity to hire people and giving them the opportunity to grow themselves. Yeah, the other way to consider the external help side of things is that creative agencies or in general, any agency that or outside consultant from a marketing perspective, you you want to be choosing Agencies who have people that really understand your business or are willing to dive deep in understanding your business, the customers you speak to, as well as the industry, well enough to understand what types of ideas might resonate with those customers and the audience that you've selected earlier on in the strategy process to be speaking with. The challenge with creative ideas is that they're often very, very difficult to judge on whether they will work or not. That's the main challenge here. And often, If you find a bold idea that scares you a little bit, it's very likely to evoke some kind of an emotion with the audience. And those are the types of ideas that are sometimes very hard to come up with if you're too close to your own business and if you've just spent a year and a half, two years building that product and you know it inside and out. So that outside perspective and bringing some of those creative ideas to the table and bringing them to life may actually make uh, more sense from that perspective. Because at the end of the day, what are we looking for here? We're, we're looking for that unfair advantage. We're looking for those irrational margins. And those come from those creative associations that you have with the brand. And sometimes those are not so obvious to identify. Absolutely. This is such an important point because the irony with trying to find the silver bullet or following best practices when it comes to brand building is literally the whole point of having a brand is standing out from the crowd. 
And you cannot stand out by doing exactly the same thing that everybody else does. So this is why it's important to either develop the skills so that you can become a better communicator and convey your messages a lot more originally and differently from everybody else, or get help from others who know how to do this really well, and also learn to recognize brilliant ideas, even if they make you uncomfortable. I think the main takeaway is that at least 50% of the success in any of these types of programs is in the planning. You should take the time to address all these three areas. So these three areas, again, being figuring out your long-term goals, figuring out the kind of budget you want to be dedicating to achieving those goals in the long term, defining the audience that you want to be speaking to, defining those key messages that are really tied um, to the positioning of your company and really grounded in that. And then finally, finding out the best way to get those ideas out there, uh, whether it's working with an agency or in-house, brainstorming the territories and the potential programs and the directions that you might want to go into. And if you document these down, if you write a good brief, if you get alignment from all the key stakeholders, internal and external first, you have a much higher chance of success uh, before you go into actually executing anything, which is what we're all going to be covering in the next episode. Absolutely. Okay, Honor, it's always a pleasure talking about brand building with you. I think we've covered good ground on the strategy this week and really looking forward to talking about how to actually bring this to life through the execution phases of these our programs next time influencers <laughs> when in doubts use influencers thank you for listening to strategy and sourdough we'd love to get any feedback questions or topic suggestions you may have drop us a line at hello at strategy and sourdough.com 